the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible The entire Bible every year On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are on the air. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We're so glad to have you along. We hope that you'll call in and be a part of the program this evening. Our phone a, number. Yes, have, yes, yeah. I do. And I have my Bible, too. Oh, so I just want to make Sophie sure. Has his I'm Bible. cutting you off at the, at the uh, shins there, at the knees. We, I've got my Bible, and I do have a phone number. Let's see. Our phone number is 210 340 Thank you, John. 210 340 we're going to spend the next 90 minutes talking about all things biblical, talking about yeah. the book of books. Yeah, that's a ticket, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Jacob is here with me, and we're going to look, particularly and specifically tonight, uh, our readings from this past week, Monday through Friday. If you uh, follow our reading through the Scripture every year, uh, every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, we are in the great books of Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, we finished up, let me see, Hebrews, I think, and now we've come back to Ezekiel and Daniel uh, in in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and now we've come back to the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. And really, one, I guess Ezekiel is, I don't know, you know, you said that um, Ezekiel is not very much read. I did say that. <clears throat> it, it, not people know a lot about. They read. They read three or four chapters about what they think is prophecy, which uh-huh. may be. I'm not taking that away. Uh-huh. 
But that's the only thing people read. They don't sit down and start at the chapter one. They know something about a spaceship in the beginning. <laughs> a spaceship. Yeah. yeah, there is this the wheel within a wheel yeah. and the you know, this, that sort of thing. And we can talk Boy about that tonight. Up in the middle of the year. Some of the yeah. And, and I tell you that the most well known passage in the Christian world, at least, yeah. from the book of Ezekiel is that that just that remarkable vision powerful vision that Ezekiel has of the of the valley of dry bones. Oh yeah. You know they, who, preachers the, preach on that. Oh they do. Oh, oh and man. do you want me to tell you a great great story about that? Yeah, sure. Why okay, not? this is a great story. When Israel became a country again, mm-hmm. uh, after the United Nations and everything in nineteen forty eight, I guess it was. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what happened. So Ben Gurion, he was the guy running the show at that time. And uh, one of the top people from Egypt met with him. And he, the guy from Egypt was designated by the Muslim countries. And they met with him. And, he, and the guy from Egypt said to him, What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And Ben-Gurion said, I'm resurrecting from a valley of dry bones. Well, the Muslim guy from Egypt goes back and tells everybody, we got ourselves a real problem. This guy is nuts, and he thinks he's raising a bunch of dead people. <laughs> so he didn't know this passage. He, he did not know yeah, the passage. I, but he actually <laughs> took it that the guy that Ben Gurion was saying it. So he back and forth to all his other people. He said, man, we got a big problem. This guy is totally nuts. I don't know what chapter that particular uh, uh, comes, vision it is com- in. It, co- it comes up shortly. Does it come up tonight? I, I, I we're only think, covering no, I chapters I I don't think it's 1 tonight. through 22, but next week I guess it is. Yeah. Well, um, I think that passage is one of the most famous. Another passage I like it. I like it. very famous and well-known among the Christian world, and we've been talking about it a little bit, is chapter what 28, yeah. where it seemingly it's talking, uh, at least in our uh in our understanding, uh, I say our, I, I, I'm not sure if it's universal or anything, but I, as I grew up in, in the scriptures and so on, I was taught that that uh, Satan was once an angel, one of the archangels, along with uh, uh, Michael the warrior and Gabriel the messenger. There was Lucifer, son of the morning, uh, one of the archangels that fell from glory. Fell, uh, sin and pride was found in him, and he... Uh, was cast from God's presence. Uh, so we, we have that uh, different, that's the understanding we have of Satan. And of course, Jesus talks in the, over in the book of Luke, I think it is in chapter 10, he talks about, I saw Satan fall, cast down from heaven and all. So we have that a little bit that, that Christians know the passage yeah, for. Sure. And I think the big thing about Ezekiel is that, uh, he's got this very detailed, and to some degree, at least for us, goy, you know, why are we goy, goyim? Oh, now, let's make this clear since you brought that up. I said that, not you, right? No, you is said that? that, but I also <laughs> want to say that is not derogatory, it's not pejorative, and it's not an insult. Us, us Gentiles, I should well, say, maybe. Okay, maybe yeah. But in Hebrew, the, the word is goy, goyim, uh-huh. and that just means... Uh, it actually means nations or people, uh-huh. it's, so it's not derogatory. Okay, good. Well, that's that's kind of where we get the, the, the idea. What was I even going to say? I kind of lost know. my. Oh, oh, oh! This very detailed 
and and maybe to us maybe slightly boring and confusing vision and picture of a new temple. This Ezekiel oh, yeah. Ezekiel describes in the first place he describes uh, Israel right. repartitioned. In other words, instead of the uh, instead of the tribes of Israel as we've as we saw them in the book of what Moses laid out, and we see in uh, Levitic, Leviticus, number Deuteronomy in that area. Uh, instead of that particular division, he describes an Israel that is, and the tribes in a different arrangement in the land of Israel, and he describes the, this temple that doesn't exist. And so maybe you can give us a little a perspective of that from the Hebrew. That would be helpful to us, I think. Uh, well, actually, the uh, all the <laughs> items are prepared to build that temple, and they do, they will. And the plan is to follow the design from Ezekiel. So that's there. Everything's made. They're only lacking all the utensils are made. Uh, the understanding is they even know where the ark is. The only thing that they're missing at this point, supposedly, is uh, the breastplate. So they are ready to assemble. Okay, so you're saying that... Uh, and they will follow... They this. will... They, they're, you're saying, see, we're very confused. I think uh, uh, so my professors confused. and you our sound like John Travolta. I'm so confused. Our professors and our teachers and so on, they they always talk about the Book of Ezekiel and say, and they say we don't know exactly what it, what this this temple, this new oh. temple here is all about because it, it it's what is it? Is it a plan for you know the future or is it some idealized? Now, I probably we should point out who is this guy named Ezekiel in the first place. Let's take two minutes and put this in perspective. All right. Okay? Now there was a guy named Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was writing, and he is contemporaneous, a contemporary with Ezekiel. Right. So, but but Ezekiel is writing from Babylon. So while Je- uh, Jeremiah and we in, finished, we just we finished the book of Jeremiah yes, what, just did. a week or two ago, and, and uh, perfect. And we we heard about him, the weeping prophet, over in Jerusalem, trying to get the people to uh, repent and obey God and honor God, and and so that and at first he was trying to have them to escape the judgment of God on them that God was going to send through Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonians. And finally, they kind of gave up on that idea. They looked like they they were going to rebel and not hear him, his voice, not not heed his message. And so we, you know, we talked about Jeremiah. So at the same time that Jeremiah was over in Jerusalem dealing with uh, the the kind of stubborn, stiff-necked uh, Jewish leadership of that era, that time, and the people, we this twenty-two-year-old kid. Who was also, I believe, a Levite as well, right? He, well, let's let, let's talk about. Let's put it in perspective. He was over in Babylon. Yeah, but let's put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got Jeremiah. He's in Jerusalem. In and tonight we're talking about Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And just so you know, both those names are contractions from the Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah is a contraction of fear in the sense of awe, awe of God. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be. You know, you ought to have awe. Now, Ezekiel is a contraction. You got to have awe. Okay. Ezekiel is a contraction of a couple Hebrew words. It means he will strengthen your, basically strengthen your faith in God. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. So what's going on is both of these 
fellows are writing contemporaneously. They're contemporaries. But now here's a piece of that helps put the Bible in context. So when they're taking uh, Ezekiel was actually born in Israel. Okay. Yeah, and he was taken in the the second. I understand he was taken in the second uh, kidnapping well, or the second is, group that spent, went to Babylon. He spent at least we know for sure at least twenty two years in Babylon. He was taken six years prior to the destruction of the temple. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, assuming that he was not there and didn't see it, so when he's writing about this stuff, it's very well coordinated. Now, what this is important to understand because you read all these books in the uh, in the Tanakh in the Old Testament, and you've got. But let's just kind of review who all was there. You've got Ezekiel, you've got Mordecai and Esther, you've got Daniel. That's right. Hananiah. Mishael and Azariah. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And off to bed we go. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so you got all these people. So when you're reading all these stories in the book of Daniel and Ruth, I'm sorry, uh, Esther, uh, and you're reading about uh, uh, Ezekiel, you're talking about people that were all there at the same time. Now, they did have different roles. Um, Mm -hmm. The... uh, uh, as you say, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Benigo. They were That's regional. The, well, off, yeah, but they're, they're working in the court. They're assigned uh-huh. to the court. They were all castrated, mm-hmm. so they could not have children. Mm-hmm. But they were, they were very educated, and so they were meant to be uh, people that were just teachers and trainers for Babylonians. So, <clears throat> pardon me. So what's happening And is, Daniel was in the palace itself, right? Yes, they're all. That's right. Uh-huh. But so you got, but these people are now in the in the priesthood, in the Jewish priesthood. You have Ezekiel. <clears throat> Ezekiel was actually a Jewish priest. He's a Cohen. Mm-hmm. Now, so what's happened is, he actually gets to be. Uh, we learned in Jeremiah that uh, Jeremiah had written in seventy years, mm-hmm. Israel will be able to return. Thus. Over in the book of Daniel, that's why he says he mentions, he realizes 70 years is up. <clears throat> Daniel mentions the prophecy of Jeremiah. He does. But, mm-hmm. He actually mentions it. So, he, it actually says something on the order of, he was reading the book of Jeremiah, and he said, whoa, 70 years are up. <laughs> whoa, so, somebody, yeah, yeah, so, tell the king. <laughs> right, so, what you've got is... <clears throat> like, the temple was destroyed, so let's put this thing in context. So you got all these people you're reading about in the Old Testament and the Tanakh, and so they're there. So when you're reading about them, if you read them isolated like they're separate stories, you can't. you got to realize they're all people, and they probably knew each other. Mm-hmm. Now, they're over there in Babylon. Now, what's interesting is this. In chapter 1 of Ezekiel, in fact, you happen to have a question about it. Mm-hmm. You rascal, you. Uh, It's in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. uh, And then it starts off by saying, now, it says, your question one is, how old is he? We don't know exactly how old he was. What it really says, in the 30th year, on the fifth day of the fourth month. Now, what that's from is, would you like to know what that's really from? 
Sure. Go ahead. Okay. You're on a roll here. Let's okay. go. Tell us about this guy roll. named Ezekiel. Like cinnamon rolls. Strength of the Lord. Oh, the Lord is our strength or whatever. It, okay. you know, something. Well, what it means about here, <laughs> this is 30 years from Hilkiah, Hilkiah, Hilkiah found mm-hmm. the roll, the Torah scroll. That's what that's referring to. In the uh, uh-huh. under yes. Josiah. Yes, it was. You'll find it in Second Kings, uh-huh. one twenty-two. Twenty-two. Mm-hmm. So he found that. So this thirty years is from that time. You see, isn't that fast? How about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now in, uh, in 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 verse four, if you take down, he says he says talking about I looked. And uh, I don't know what your version, how it translates it, because I'm using the English from the Hebrew. So what, what Verse is your, 4. 1, 4. How does that say that? It says, as I looked, I saw a great storm uh-huh. coming from the north, uh-huh. driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. Uh-huh. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber. Uh-huh. Okay, now. This is what, and then they start talking about the wheel and the wheel and the rest of the business, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, w- the word for this, there's a word called hashmah. Don't worry about that. That's kind of a spiritual term. But the word is uh, uh, a word that actually is merkava. You know what that is today in Israel? Merkava? Merkava, merkava. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Uh, uh, what does the word describe? Is it described? Well, because it, inside we'll this cloud, chariot. he says there's we'll say a chariot. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, Merkava. It's a, probably a name of a tank, I'm guessing. Uh, perfect. Really? It's a, that's what Israel calls their tanks. <laughs> it's a, and it's a divine chariot. That's hilarious. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces and four wings. And I mean, it's a really crazy, wild vision that he has. Okay, but here. let's hold on to that just okay. for a moment. Mm-hmm. Now, what is Ezekiel seeing? Do you remember a book written by a guy named Von Donneken 30 years ago? No. Uh, you don't. No, don't recognize it. Okay, well, anyway, he wrote Unless a book, you give me the title, maybe. Chariots of the Gods. Oh, sure, I've got uh, that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying, well, this must be a spaceship and all this stuff. You know, that's a shame because anybody that really knew chapter 1 of Ezekiel knew what that was. But what, what is he seeing? What's coming to him in Babylon? Because well, it's coming over to where these Jews are in Babylon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what he's seeing is what you would call. Uh, I believe uh, you pronounce it Shekinah mm-hmm. or Shekinah, mm-hmm. uh, but Shekinah will say. So he's, and, but why? Where did it come from? Well, over in in uh, Jeremiah, it left the temple. Now, let me give you an example. Let's suppose I built a hundred percent replica of the temple. Let's say I built it in I don't know New Jersey, just a hundred percent replica. Mm-hmm. Is it holy? No. Okay. Just the building. Because there's no no Holy Spirit there, no God, that kind of thing. So, when God took his Shekinah, uh, his glorious presence from the temple, yeah, right? right. So the... now it's just a building. So when the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem, what was happening was it was just the building left because the presence of God had left. Now, it, now it, where is it going? It's going to follow with the Jews and Ezekiel. He's seeing what he's describing in literary 
human terms a spiritual event, but he's using mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. So he's at the, which is all we have. <laughs> so it's all we have. So language. He's watching what's actually happened is the spirit has left. Let's say I'm going to say the Shekinah. Because uh, the Christians are familiar with the word Shekinah. Yeah, and we we read that in Jeremiah when the when the glory of God departed from the okay. temple. Yeah, all right. So it departed. Now, where did it go? <clears throat> well, it went. It followed. It went with the Jews in captivity, even though there was no temple. So, what you're actually seeing at the beginning here in chapter one is Ezekiel's having a vision of that. We're going to say the holy chariot, mm-hmm. divine chariot, mm-hmm. a Carrying, which you might call it's a throne, actually. It's, a, it's the spirit, the Shekinah of God coming. It's not God, but it's like a, the Holy Spirit. But he has a vision of it, and he describes it. He's describing uh, supernal events, you know, basically with physical terms, because that's all he's got, as you say. Now, when you read this, you think, well, that's interesting because you're talking about these faces and all this. If you look really closely, the Jewish scholars through the ages, the ages of the sages, mm-hmm. uh, the sages of the ages, they, they, uh, they understood this to have a certain meaning. They understood it to mean that if you look at a, each one of those faces, they're sort of like the king of each kingdom. Uh, like there's an mm-hmm. ox mm-hmm. and a lion's face. And they and then it talks about the wings. So, but now, what's interesting is the wings here are different than the wings in Isaiah. In, in Isaiah, it said with what with six wings they had two. They flew with two. They yes. something and with two they That's something right. else. Yeah. So he has six. Here they have four. <coughs> so something's going on. Maybe we can explore that if we need to. But but if you really want to understand what's happening in chapter one. Between chapter 1 is chapter 2, and then you go all through chapter 9. That's sort of like a, uh, explaining in detail of what's going on and all this other stuff. But chapter 10 of Ezekiel, chapter 10, explains what you're seeing in chapter 1, except it took him that long to get to the explanation. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? He starts in chapter 1 with the vision itself. The vision, uh-huh. And and then he continues with that and explains it later in chapter 10, you're saying. Yeah, that's right. When you go to chapter 10, it'll start explaining exactly what you're seeing. Okay. Isn't that fascinating? It is. And our, 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 I think our understanding of that, it, it, it coincides, I think, it fairly well. It correlates pretty well to what you've said. In chapter 10, it talks about the, the glory of the Lord leaving the temple and so on. And I think one of the things that I, I remember as you read the passage and as you think about what this might have meant to them, here you have this young street preacher, actually. Ezekiel is uh, hes a street preacher. He, he, got, he, he, he uses drama. He uses uh, song and poetry in his messages. He's, uh, one time he lays on his side for a number of days to illustrate. Something. He, he's, he does... Unusual things to highlight in his message to the people. Uh, he's a young guy, young street preacher over the and his messages correlate and coordinate so beautifully with what Jeremiah is a thousand miles away over in Jerusalem, what Jeremiah is telling the people there. Right. And, and it's really a, an amazing correlation there between those two. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have the internet. 
So how does Ezekiel know the spirit has left mm-hmm. the Shekinah, shall yeah. we say, mm-hmm. has left the temple? How does he know? Well, either somebody had to run real fast and tell him, or he actually had this vision he's telling us about. And God communicated it to them. Well, and the idea there is that uh, I think one of the things I read that was very, uh, I think, positive, and I liked it a lot, was that God was reminding his people, uh, he was reminding his people that his presence and and the worship of God, and they could experience God and worship God, and God would be in their midst and comfort them and encourage them and strengthen them. And it wasn't tied to Jerusalem. It wasn't tied to a building. It wasn't even tied to the land That in a way that God was giving them a message that I'm here with you as well. I'm here in Babylon with you. You can you can know you don't have to mourn and weep and, and think oh, well we can't connect with God and because where, that's a great example. And where is the first example that teaches the Jews that story, that theme you just said? The very first time, because you're a hundred percent right. I'm trying to think of, uh, in other words, the same kind of message <laughs> yeah, to them except about. Except there was the first time that taught us mm-hmm. what it's about. Hmm. I'm. I, I, I can't remember exactly. If I said Mount Sinai, what would you say? Okay. Now, why is it? Now, think about Because it. that was outside of you Israel, wasn't it? it. Yeah, uh-huh. So God's God and God's laws was not meant just for the land of Israel. If it took place, if, say, Mount Sinai was mm-hmm. inside the boundaries, you might get the impression that, well, maybe it's just for Israel, just for the Jews. But it was important that Mount Sinai was not inside the boundaries. That way, it's something larger than the boundaries. Mm-hmm. The land was given to the nation of Israel. That's so. That's one promise. But the but God Himself was bigger than the land, and He was at Mount Sinai. And He's interested in. in he always has been interested in the whole world and in, in people, right. uh, every nation, people group. Yeah, and that, I think that was a really important. I would expect that 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 Ezekiel's message to the people there in here they are. Out of their country, uh, they're they've been taken out. They're in exile, and they're and they're they're, de- they're you know maybe uh, down and depressed, and you know that we're you forsaken think, by God. You think they're down and depressed? Yeah. You're just, are you guessing at this? Forsaken or? by God, and there comes this message that no, God is here. Yeah. He, you can know Him. Well, you can worship yeah. Him. You can experience in, Him. In yeah. the Book of Ezekiel, over mm-hmm. twenty different leaders come to him and say, are you sure? Are you sure? There's a lot of conversations. They need to be reassured because they, you know, they're saying, wait a minute. If God's with us, where was he back then? Where is he now? What's he doing for us? Look, we're in torture. Bad things are happening to us. What's going on? Well, when we come back, we're going to take a quick break now. Our first segment's gone. But when we come back, I want to talk about this vision of the the four faces of this vision. You know, one of me is the, what is it? The uh, uh, the, the, the human face, the face of a lion, the face uh, of a, of uh, an eagle, the face of an oxen, and uh, we we kind of taken a, a peek at that as well. And uh, some people think that might be the indication of the Messiah and his different roles with us. If, so we, we can look at that. Think that we might have to clear that up. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back, folks. This is the Bible Live. Don't go away. We'll be back just a. Mere moments.
Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. You, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. Psalm 3, verse 3. Hello. And welcome to another word of encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading was written by Arthur Jackson. Our church experienced an agonizing loss when Paul, our gifted worship minister, died at the age of 31 in a boating accident. Paul and his wife, Deronda, were no strangers to pain. They had buried several children who hadn't made it to term. Now there would be another grave near the small graves of these little ones. The life-crushing crisis this family experienced hit those who loved them like a knockout blow to the head. David was no stranger to personal and family crisis. In Psalm 3, he found himself overwhelmed because of the rebellion of his son Absalom. Rather than stay and fight, he chose to flee his home and throne. Though many considered him forsaken by God, David knew better. He saw the Lord as his protector, and he called upon him accordingly. And so did Deronda, in the midst of her grief, when hundreds had gathered to remember her husband. She raised her soft, tender voice in a song that expressed confidence in God. When doctors' reports are not encouraging, when financial pressures won't ease up, when efforts to reconcile relationships fail, when death has left those we cherish in its wake. May we too be strengthened to say with the psalmist in Psalm 3, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. If you're looking for a church to call home, start your search with the church directory at am630theword.com. There you'll find hundreds of churches near you. Churches like Agape Christian Church, Trinity Baptist, River City Community Church, Cavalry Chapel of San Antonio, Freedom Fellowship, Riverview Cavalry Chapel, His Life Fellowship, Alamo City Bible Church, and Calvary Chapel Solid Rock. Or make sure your home church is listed so others can find you. It's the church directory at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Austin Richard Post, known to his fans by the name Post Malone, just released a catchy track called Circles. It's a tune that feels lighter than most of his previous singles, but the song tells of a couple who are stuck in a negative cycle that revolves around repeated unmet hopes and a shallow sensual pleasure. circles adds up to a whole lot of destructive patterns and dysfunctional choices, themes that clash with the track's light summer pop sounds. You may go in drawn in by a feel-good vibe, but you come out with something much more depressing. See our full review at PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Family's Plugged In. 
Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. All right, wonderful. Well, that's one of the great themes and one of the great messages and visions that Ezekiel has. We haven't gotten that far yet in our in our discussion, but we're talking about chapters one and two. We're kind of setting the stage. Ezekiel's call to ministry, his call to be a, a to witness to to give message, a prophetic message, preach to the people of Israel there, uh, far off from Israel, from the land, from, far off from the temple. The temple has been destroyed. And they're getting this message of hope and encouragement. God is there with you as well. You, he, he's here. Uh, the, the, this vision of a wheel within the wheel and the, the four faces and so on. Which, b- by the way, I, we have seen uh, over the years, I think, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in light of the Messiah and the Christian world and our understanding is that we, we've uh, kind of interpreted that four faces of this uh, this. Uh, that we see there in the vision um chapter one what is it they they are the <clears throat> four beings there are four faces um what are they man's the, lions ox and eagle man lion ox and eagle and uh some people have seen the the general themes of the likeness or the um, uh, of of the messiah you know in in the new testament matthew speaks to jesus the king mark speaks jesus the son uh the servant and Luke, Jesus, the man, and the Gospel of John emphasizes his deity. And some people have seen that image in the ox and the, uh, you know, the man, the ox, the, the eagle, and the um, the other face. <laughs> it doesn't come to me. Right, but some people have made that comparison uh, from the book of Ezekiel as well. And I just want to add that uh-huh. uh, historically, that's they took it differently. Mm-hmm. They considered the the man, the lion, ox and eagle's face mm-hmm. to be uh, he, physical, and they they thought it meant that they were the ki- each one represented the king of their family. Mm-hmm. So. I see. All right. Well, so there we have that opening vision. Yes. Uh, the wheel within the wheel, and just a magnificent thing. It must have, I don't know these these prophets when they had these visions and they see uh, 
I wonder if they ever, if it ever scared them or if they were ever startled. I know some of them actually say they fell down in fear or they were right. mesmerized. You just read that the God said, hey, get up. Yeah, and in uh, chapter, end of chapter 1, uh, Ezekiel sees all of this and he says, uh, this is what the glory of the Lord looked to me looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice saying, Stand up, son of man, I want to speak with you. And so the Spirit of God came into me, and he spoke, and he set me on my feet, and I listened to his words. And he, and he says, I'm sending you to Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, mm. they and their ancestors, and uh, I'm sending you with this message. And so he begins his calling Ezekiel's calling to where, where, where comfort the people. That was chapter 2, the very opening uh, verses. You know, I, there's one thing, mm-hmm. and, and this is one of the things that sometimes troubles me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, because we talked during the break. In chapter 2, the literal translation in verse 4 is, uh, the children, I'm sending you a hard face, then hard heart to tell them. Mm-hmm. This is the Lord God. Mm-hmm. And your version just has the word Lord, I guess, right? This is what the so- sovereign Lord says. Okay, so they're using the word sovereign and the mm-hmm. word Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, see, in the Jewish reading, that means something very important. Mm. Because you'll find it, first time it appears, is in chapter 2 of Genesis. And because up in chapter 1, it's God, 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 Elohim. Mm-hmm. That's usually indicative of the creation. He's a judge. He's the boss. He's creating something. And it's plural for some reason, isn't it? Elohim. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But when you get into chapter 2 of Genesis, for the first time it says Lord God in English. Well, it's yod heh and Elohim. So that what that means is, and if you're trained to think this way, you'll see when it says, I guess your version says sovereign God. But sovereign the, Lord. It, sovereign Lord, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, in the in, more fluid English, it says Lord God, or Yodhevafe, the name of God, and then God. Now, when they put those together, it's telling the the trained Jewish reader that you're supposed to understand something from those names. It means it's the attribute of justice, in other words, Elohim, but then when it says his name, it's the attribute of mercy. Mm. So it's justice in the sense of chapter 2 of Ezekiel that it was their actions that caused this result. But at the same time, he's coming also with mercy. So that's the idea it's trying to present. Mm, mm, mm. I like that a lot. That's, that's, that's what we often talk about, uh, the whole point of the cross, was the, where both God's justice... And his love were fully expressed and satisfied. Well, very similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, very similar idea, yeah. So he has this scroll. God gives him a scroll, and it tastes like honey to him and uh, to his mouth. And in other words, take this message. I guess, is that emphasizing the the positive aspect of the message, that this is sweet? Well, later on, God loves you, he's with you still. You mean when it tastes sweet when he tastes it? Yes, Yes. uh in chapter 2. Yeah, yeah, uh, 3, I guess it is. But it doesn't doesn't do good things for his tummy? That's later on, I believe. This one, it doesn't bother his tummy at all at this point. Uh, By the way, just as a quick side note, I meant to say this earlier. I I don't want to segue, but I just want Mm -hmm. to tell you. That's right. Uh, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that's what people know them uh-huh. by. Uh, they actually were taken. Use their other names because I want to get used to using their other names. I I just, all these, and, that's and their I, Babylonian names, right? The, that's their slave names. Uh-huh, right? slave. Because uh-huh. if you can take somebody and change their name, you really it's own them. Azariah. and uh, Hananiah. Hananiah. Mishael. Mishael and Azariah. Azariah. Okay, Azariah. Okay, got it. Now, that's their given names. Now, you may remember we did a book a while back, and I can't remember. It was, I think it was in Kings. Mm-hmm. It starts off by saying, and Hananiah said, and I pointed out at the time, I said, you know who that is? That's this guy. Well, the guys. yeah, yeah. But see, if you don't catch those names, then you won't catch that they have other roles mm-hmm. in short, because now none of those people were prophets. Those were they were in the descendants in the line of princehood from Judah. That's one reason they were castrated. They're making sure there'd not be any production of a future Messiah or king. But so but they were taken eleven years prior to the destruction of the temple. So they've been in eleven years. Uh um uh, Ezekiel was over there at least six years prior to the destruction. So that's, as you said, the second batch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Second group to go over. Uh, in chapter 3, uh, there's, this is a passage that is well known to Christian believers. I think it's preached on quite often, is that God calls him to be a watchman on the wall. Oh, I've, I've appointed wall. you to be a watchman. And, and, and it's what, very what interesting. In chapter 3, verse uh, 16. 16. I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Uh, uh, 17. Whenever you receive, and look at this, is the responsibility that he has as a, as a messenger, as a preacher. And I, th- I think preachers and rabbis should take this very seriously. If we're to preach in, in the name of the Lord and we're to give, deliver a message from God to the people, we got. he says, if I warn the wicked, you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver that warning, they will die in our sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If we don't share the, that message, I mean, they they have their own sin. They're responsible for their own responses to God and and so on. But we do, too. Now, there is something really interesting about this. Okay. We we have a responsibility as well to be oh, faithful it's, it's worse. It's to worse deliver the that. message. And this is very, very, very uh-huh. un-Jewish. But he says if you if they refuse to repent... And keep on sending, but but if you do warn them faithfully, and, and as I instruct you, they will die in our sins. But you will be saved because you did obey me. You warned them. Right. I think that's a important message no. for preachers today. It is. They're going to be held accountable for it that is, message. And I would not diminish that. That's a very important message. And if you take this serious, mm-hmm. it probably ought to get your attention. However, but it's also something that's really unusual in Jewish thought. Do you mm-hmm. know what it is? Really unusual. But it's very similar. I mean, it's very well-known in Christian thought. About, like, what did Jesus do? He preached. He preached, yeah. He, he warned, if you uh-huh, will. Uh-huh. And, and so, therefore, he did what is called in Christianity vicarious atonement. Uh-huh, uh, I see. Uh-huh. This thought right here is one of the passages that's been pointed out by sages for couple thousand years, or at least, uh, what, 1,500, 1,600 uh-huh. years, this is a very unusual passage because it does seem to ex- uh, suggest uh, responsibility, but also it does sort of suggest a vicarious atonement. Now, uh-huh. that is something really unusual. I had not thought of that. that yeah, that is. Uh, that's, uh, but 
It's not totally because the entire wasn't the entire sacrificial system set up on the idea of substitutionary atonement that when the priest put his hand on the head of the penitent person and then he moved his hands to the head of the the lamb or the goat or the what the, that there was this idea of okay uh, atoning I, no, work I, I would have to uh, we probably okay. ought to explain this sometime but no that's not what that's about that is uh, you might call it a symbol if you like. Perhaps in an analogy, but the animal never, ever, ever died for the sins. No, the yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it actually even says it somewhere in the passage where he says, you know, that when they put the hands on the, they, it's not a literal thing, but it is, it, 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 it symbolically at least, there's the idea that <clears throat> the sin, the guilt is being pat, and that it, it shows the seriousness of sin, and then, then the lamb or the goat or the animal was slain. And shows that the the soul that sins it shall die. You know the <clears throat> the whole point of the seriousness of sin. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know that a lamb never. I, even the book of Hebrews points out. No, no, our sins are not forgiven and removed by the you know blood of lambs exactly. and goats and animals. Exactly. But symbolically, there was the idea of sub- substitutionary the, yeah, that's atonement. Right. That's why actually the same <laughs> word that appears for a lamb with a blemish mm-hmm. is the word for basically for sin. Hmm. Okay. So see, see if, you, if I'm if I don't have the internet, I don't have a movie. But I'm going to take a lamb, and you guys will stand on the hill and watch how I mm-hmm. do this, and we'll pretend that this is a live thing, and it mm-hmm. sort of represents mm-hmm. you. And lamb this lamb doesn't blemish. have mm-hmm. a little blemish on; it doesn't have a mm-hmm. sin. So therefore, when we burn it up, watch this little smoke go up, and you get in the idea that your spirit or your soul mm-hmm. is going up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he says, "Put his uh, Lord, put the." Put him on his feet and said, so go out there and deliver the message there, Ezekiel. Uh, be faithful to deliver what I, the message that I put in your heart and to deliver. So then the f- chapter 4, we see this first message where he lays on his side oh, the, for a certain period. Tell us about I, I'm that. not quite sure I've ever quite understood it correctly, but it, well, it seems to me... if you looked at chapter 4 starting at verse 4, maybe that would... Let's see what the vision is. Explain what it's about. Now lay on, lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. Ah. You are to bear their sins. There's a little bit of that idea of substitutionary atonement there, isn't it, kind of, in a way? In a way. You are to bear their sins for the number of days. Days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for now, 390 let, days. Okay, now wait. Israel, Israel right? Yeah, you got what I was going to say. Okay, oh, I'm guessing the northern tribe. They've got it. Yeah. And in one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. Now, explain to me where the numbers come from, 390 and then 40. What Are those years? Are those... Uh, is it, it what it kind of a time? A very, time? it's a very complex set of numbers. That's okay, maybe beyond what we can do, but it, it can be very complex. But there is no doubt that this is meant to be. If you had forty plus three ninety, what do you get? Four thirty. Have you ever seen that number anywhere before? Four hundred and thirty years. Four hundred. Wait, wait, wait. Four hundred and thirty. Four hundred and thirty. Is it years? Is that what we're, talk, we're talking about? Each or day days? was like a year. Oh goodness! I don't know. Go ahead and tell me. Well, uh, is there anybody who's ever said, "Hey, don't you you know in the future your guys are going to be slaves some in another country"? Oh yeah, that's right. Four hundred and thirty years. Oh, what a coincidence! 
Okay. That they were in Egypt? But how does that relate to Israel and Judah? Uh, because they're, they're all together. I see. I mean, it's okay. a whole nation of Israel, but the Israel is referred to as the ten tribes here. So, okay. So, and you're right, as you suggested, this is highly unusual because it is suggesting a certain you're going to bear their sins. That's almost vicarious atonement. Mm-hmm. And i got to tell you, that's really, really unusual in Jewish thought. Uh, you're, you're, uh-huh. Because you are so accustomed to the idea that you know, the, ch- the child does not suffer for the sins of the father. Right? Is that, is that the idea? That's right. uh, okay. Now, I will tell you this. I did notice when you were reading in verse 4, mm-hmm. your version evidently says you'll, you'll bear their sins. Mm-hmm. Now, you see... It's probably a purist kind of thing for me, but uh, it's it's really should I think it should be the word iniquity. Uh huh. Okay. Sure. That'd be one. The difference being, sin was unintentional. Iniquity is intentional. These guys were warned, they were told, and they still did it. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That that's always a slight bit confusing to me, but I've begun to get the idea of the difference between sin and iniquity and transgression. Uh, transgression yeah. Um, uh, fine point on that. Well, let's see. Meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lie there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. So this is before the destruction of the temple. Uh-huh. Uh, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem. Lie. So he, this is one of his street messages where he's on. He's out on the sidewalk and he's laying down on his this side for three hundred and ninety days. And on the other, wow, these are long. That's over a year. Yes, it is. And so he lays out there for 390 days in a row to indicate this, and another 40. Wow, that's a dedicated preacher, I tell you. Uh, I'm sure it rained or whatever. Who knows what kind of things took place yeah, in those? Probably wasn't very, uh, very comfortable. So he delivers this message to the, uh, and he said, "Go get some wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and emmer, emmer wheat, and mix them together in a storage jar." And, and he has his next message. And this is how Israel will defile, uh, eat defiled bread in, in Gentile lands to which I will banish them. So this is all taking place before. And, and, and these are things that we don't pay much attention uh-huh. to, but like there's a difference between what's an early crop and a late crop. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Early crop you don't make barley cakes out of. You know? Okay. So it's you're eating it when, it, when it, you have nothing else to eat. So it's an early crop. It's also something to do with... Uh, that you're in poverty, you're suffering, even your food is hard to eat. Yeah. And in chapter 5, he he uses the example of shaving. Take a sharp sword, yeah. use it as a razor to shave your head and beard. A lot of people in our, you know, that's a kind of a, that's kind of a style thing in America today. A lot of people have shaved heads and uh, you know, one of my sons has his head shaved, and, and, and you know, pretty cool looking, uh, like a Yul Brenner sort of a thing. You know, some of our listeners might remember Yul Brenner, the the bald headed actor that played uh, the Pharaoh, right? The son of the Pharaoh in well, he's uh, a good actor, yeah. the Ten Commandments. Yul Brenner. Hey, by the way, in your version, does it say in verse ten uh, that he shall eat the weight of twenty shekels? Let me see. Let me see. Is that in uh, chapter? Yeah, it's uh, four ten. Four, okay, I'll go back four. Let me see. Well, yeah, I, I suspect it does. I did. I moved on to five. But uh, ten says, <clears throat> ration this out to yourself. Eight ounces of food for each day and eat it at set times. Okay. 
then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink that at set times. Is that what you were talking about? Well, it is. I think it's probably closer to seven ounces, but, you know, let's not quibble. 20 shekels, 228 yeah. grams. Now, why? Nice why the shekels? You see, this is all part of the, the offering and atonement, too. I see. Do you realize what's going on here? The reason you measured your food out like that was this, um, is that you can never count the people of Israel. It's right. A, it's uh-huh. a sin. So what they do is that each person would give a half shekel, and then you'd count. That's the smallest coin uh-huh, in the round. Uh-huh. And then you count the shekels. So if you count the shekels and you have 500, that means 500 people donated. So then it, you know there are 500. That way you have not numbered people because people are not numbers. So they never take a census in Israel even today? No. There's a difference. Okay. Because now there are sometimes you'll see like in the... Tanakh in the Old Testament, you'll see that someone, sometimes God says, hey, take a census count. Uh-huh. And then David takes a census count and he gets in trouble. <laughs> uh, so you got to know when and where. The difference is, it's sort of like this. If I'm going to reduce you to a number, then what's going to happen is I'm doing that so I can use you as a soldier, as something, tax payers, somebody to pay taxes, so I'm going to use you. The difference is when God had it taken, if you look closely at those verses, it's sort of like me carrying in a big velvet bag, and inside my bag I know I've got 25 very beautiful diamonds. I know i got 25 diamonds. God knows that. He doesn't need a census. But it's sort of like a guy laying out his little velvet cloth, uh-huh. and he's taking out his diamonds, and he's looking at his diamonds <laughs> and loving them and admiring uh-huh, them. Uh-huh. That's, and if you look, get sensitive to the verses, you'll see... That's what's going on when God said takes the census. David is doing it to number his army. Yeah, how big an army I have. I get it. How many taxpayers? That's an interesting way to look at it, too. Okay. Well, then let's move. Do you want to move on sure, in chapter yeah, five? Kind of making our way through some of these uh, remarkable visions and messages that uh, Ezekiel delivers. Uh, he, really like he shaves that. his head now and, and yeah. it saves the hairs, right? I love the verse in chapter five. Since you're there, have you have you dealt with cha- uh, five seven yet? Uh, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says: You people have behaved worse than your neighbors, and I've refused to ob- obey my decrees and regulations. You've not even lived up to the standards of the nations around you. Wow, I, that's a big I, message. Yeah, I was going to say, I really like that verse. He's saying, you guys haven't even been good <laughs> enough to follow the laws of these pagans. Oh my lands! I will punish you publicly while all the nations watch. Because of your detestable idols, I will oh, punish you. Oh, you, wow. You just read something. Yeah, you probably ought to, wow, you man. Ought to, you ought to enunciate that clearly because, look, but what is Israel supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be worshiping the true and living God and influencing the nations yeah. influencing to follow the after God. For. They're supposed to be doing it. So God is getting defamed by their actions. Hmm. So it says, you didn't keep my laws, you've not even kept the laws of nations surrounding you. Look, uh, I'm coming against you, and I'll execute judgments in the sight of the nations. So the one way that God was keeping his prestige, if you will, uh-huh. was by showing that he would he'd take his own chosen people and judge, that, them, as and well. judge them harshly for breaking the word. So either way... The rest of the world is going to see either by your worshiping me and keeping my laws and and that you you live well because of that. They're going to see that. Or if you don't, 
the rest of the world will see what I, because you made a promise, you made a covenant, you broke it. So the rest of the world will see what I do when you break my covenant. Wow. Well, then, then in chapter 6 and 7, he keeps announcing this coming judgment of God on the land and on the people. And he talks about their 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 exile. He talks about idolatry. In chapter eighty, he has his vision of idolatry in the temple, which is very interesting. Is thank sixth, you so much for bringing that up because it's the same vision that Jeremiah. I mean, in other words, he's he's seeing the reality of what Jeremiah is seeing over in Jerusalem. It, it looks like right. uh, idolatry in the t- during the sixth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. <clears throat> While the leaders of Judah were in my home, in that interesting, you said they knew each other. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, you know, all these people are not isolated people. When you realize that the Daniel and his three partners, uh, Esther, Mordecai, all these people, they all knew each other. They had different roles, mm-hmm. but they all knew each other. He said the leaders of Israel were meeting in his home. Yeah. Huh. Well, the leaders of Judah were in my home. The sovereign Lord told, took hold of me. I saw a figure that appeared to be a man uh, from the waist down. He looked like a burning flame. From the waist up, he looked like a gleaming amber and so on. And he has this vision of idolatry in the temple. Yep. And uh, it, it's, it sounds like something we see described. Jeremiah also describes that kind of thing, I believe. Uh, when you were the, growing up, did you ever hear uh, the phrase that's about thumb your nose at somebody? Yeah. Like this? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, here's where it comes from. Is that right? What? Ch- where? Uh, the uh, chapter uh, 5, I'm sorry, 817. Have you seen this, son of man? Is there nothing to the people of Judah that they commit these detestable sins, leading the whole nation to go in, into violence, thumbing their noses at me? How about that? Well, that's where that phrase I never comes noticed from. that. I'll be thumbing their noses at me, provoking my anger. Therefore, I will respond in fury. I will neither pity nor spare them. And though they cry for mercy, I will not listen. And so we still haven't come to yeah. the to uh, the actual destru- destruction of the of Jerusalem and the temple yet, right? Well, see now. Remember <laughs> Shekinah, uh, Shekinah, chapter ten here. Yes, the Lord's what, glory leaves the what temple. He leaves. What he leaves is a vacant building. So, so the temple, the building will get destroyed, but the presence of God, the Shekinah, shall we say, has left. And it's come over there with the people. Okay, the Lord's glory leaves Jerusalem, chapter 11, verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted their wings and rose into the air with their wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of Israel hovered above them. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountain to the east, Afterward, the Spirit of God carried me back to Babylonia to the people in exile. So ended the vision of my visit to Jerusalem, and I showed the Lord everything, told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. So they have the exile, uh, and there's a place where it says, it says he receives, receives the message. Is that... Is that further on? I guess it is further yeah, on. Further on yeah. uh, he receives but, but the announcement one thing that from I Israel. Remember when we first told, when I said the, they had the two names, your version said Sovereign Lord. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But it's actually mentioned Elohim and Yod Hey Vav Hey, the pronunciation of God's name. Uh-huh. Now, if you look in chapter 11, since you're there. Uh-huh. Chapter 11, okay. Yes, verse 14 and uh, 15. 
Right. This is where, and actually from the Hebrew, this is where that word occurs again. So you'll start seeing it. Something's, there's a second thing going on here. Then the message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the people still left in Jerusalem are talking about you and your relatives and all the people of Israel who are in exile. They are saying these people are far away from the Lord. So now he has given their land to us. Wow. Therefore, tell the exiles, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Although I have scattered you to the countries of the world, I will be a sanctuary to you during oh, your wait, time. You got it. Listen, look what he says. Okay. Look what I says. will be a sanctuary. Bingo's. Thank you for the Grand Canyon. Look what it says. You see what it just says? I, the temple's gone, but I will be a You got it? Your there sanctuary. You go. I see. Interesting. That must have been a, I suppose, a comfort. To some and a threat to others. If they weren't following God, there was a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a warning saying, there. So this thing, because in remember chapter 1 and chapter 10 uh-huh. and chapter 11, so it's saying, I have come over here. I've come with you in exile. Folks, you can join us. We'd love to get your phone call. 210-340-9585. If uh, you have a comment or a question about the book of Ezekiel, something you'd like to share, we'd love to have you join with us as well. And uh, maybe a question even that you might have about uh, this street preacher over on the streets in, of, uh, of Babylon ministering to the people in exile. There are warnings and there is comfort. It's also offered to them depending on how they're sensitive to God's message. Well, there is our music. We're coming up for our final segment of the program. Give us a call, 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. This is The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back, our final segment. Oh, whoa, put that on hold there for a moment. And <laughs> the outro came on. We got one more segment here to go. Uh, so stay with us here, folks. And if you'd like to give us a call, 210-340-9585. We're making our way. If you this... want to correct anything we're saying. That's right. We're making our way through the book of Ezekiel. We started that book this past week uh, in our Bible reading program, Monday through Friday. If you turn tune into the station at 930 in the evening, you hear a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures uh, from the Bible and the entire Bible every year. So uh, frankly, both Jacob and I are both convinced that if if you had to choose through one or the other, would rather you listen to the Bible than even to us here on the Sunday evening. We Now, Sunday evening, we get a chance to kind of review the readings from the week, the prior week, uh, talk a little bit about and comment about some of the passages we've read. And uh, all this past week, we started the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1 through um, through chapter 22 of the book of Ezekiel, this very remarkable, unique 
street preacher from the Old Testament, a prophet, but he is prophesying and preaching over in Babylon to the exiled, uh, the Jewish nation, those in in exile in Babylon. So uh, he, at the same time that Jeremiah is over in Jerusalem, uh, preaching to those that were left in Jerusalem, now Ezekiel is over with the exiled believers, uh, Daniel, Azariah, the, the others, the, the three, Hananiah and them. And uh, also... Um, um, Oh, Mordecai, not, Esther, uh, Esther, Mordecai, and they're all curtain number three. Daniel, yeah, yeah they're all over there, and uh, they know each other. They're interacting, and, and they're, God is using them to continue to minister to His people there in, in uh, Babylon. But at the same time, uh, sharing the message and influencing the people of Babylon. And uh, as we we told later on, when when Daniel and others influenced Cyrus, the uh, Medo-Persian king, who who defeats the Babylonians, and they influence him and, and show him that he is in prophecy as the one who releases the people of Israel to go back to to return to Israel. And, and now, Cyrus, Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a very important <clears throat> fellow. We all grant that mm-hmm. he did a, he did explain visions from God the best he could. That we and we have trouble understanding it, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. There is something that we have to make an acknowledgement about, and it's in chapter 13, verse 4. Let me see what it is. All right, let's see. It says, verse 4 and 5. O people of Israel, these prophets of yours, these prophets of yours are like jackals digging in the ruins. They have not done, they have done nothing to repair the breaks in the walls around the nation. They have not helped it to stand firm in battle on the day of the Lord. Instead, they have told lies and made false predictions. Mm. Wow. Well, wait a minute. Now, uh, where does your version stop at verse 5? Verse 5, it it stops at, they have not helped it to stand firm in the day of the battle. Ah, okay. Well, it doesn't mention the word fence, eh? Fence? They have done nothing to repair the breaks in the wall Ah. around the nation. Okay. Well, here's here's another translation. It says, uh, they have done nothing to enter the breaches, repair the breaches, and make a fence. Now, why is that becoming important, what I want to say? It's because of this. Many, many things that the Jewish world does in their services, in synagogues, and temples, mm-hmm. um, they are very much based on what Ezekiel set up. And you know how even in the time of, uh, let's say, uh, Jesus mm-hmm. in the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, it, it talks about the Pharisees. And it seems like they're always talking about these rules and regulations. Well, they're not quoting the Bible. What they're doing is <coughs> they're talking about uh, building a fence around. And so what they're, a- they're actually saying, so Ezekiel said, Let's. I want to build a fence around. Well, these guys didn't build a fence around God's laws. Well, I think that was part of Jesus' conflict, but that's a fight for another day. But the point is, he set the tradition. In Hebrew, it's called halakha, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a fence. You build a fence around God's laws. And, and the idea is, if I don't cross the fence, 
then I'll never break God's laws. Now, that's what the Pharisees and other people were doing. They started building fences. And many, many, many things that goes on in Jewish services today is built on the things that Ezekiel had established. Some people might... So can I say that, if I understand what you're saying, that they a number of the different things that they... Uh, rules they made and so on were were safeguards to keep them from breaking the laws of God. That's right. Is that the idea? That was the idea. See, I, I and let me. Just, I did some of that even as a young person. I would um, let me see. What, let me see if I can think of, of something that I would do. Like, <clears throat> well, I, I think some people do that even today. Like some pastors, they they, they make the decision. I'll, I'll never be alone with a female. Or if if I have a female in my office, I'll leave the door open and make sure the sec- In other words, there's not a law that says you've got to keep the door open and let, make sure your secretary knows that you're public that you're not alone. But they do things that kind of safeguard and help us stay within the bounds of the law. Would that be an, an example? That's Maybe an example. a little bit. Well, we could probably do a little bit better, but that <laughs> is an example. Okay. Um, let's suppose that I know I got to have. Five dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna always make sure I have ten. Uh, when I'm traveling, I always make sure if I fill up my tank at a half tank. Uh huh. I always make sure I got it. So I'm always a little bit beyond, so I don't go below where I should be. I see. So, uh, so Ezekiel starts setting these things up. Now, I may not point all these out, but as we go through the book of Ezekiel, there are things he has in his visions that he adds. That are a little. I got to be honest about this. I mean, every uh-huh, Jew, uh-huh. every Jewish rabbi that knows knows, and other you know other Jews. So he adds some things. They're beyond to, what is technically required by the law. In, well, when you say law, I want to say the Torah. The Torah, the mm-hmm. Bible itself, the first five uh-huh, books. Uh-huh. So there's some things that he adds in there. His goal was to set a fence around it. And the idea is if you don't go beyond the fence, then you'll never violate the rule. You won't break the law. Yeah. Yeah. So, And then what happens is now some people in the modern world refer to that legalism is not God's laws. That is not. Mm-hmm. What people are referring to legalism about, that's man-made laws. Mm-hmm. So some people get nuts over that and they go way right. beyond what they should. Or they make it so technical that you start paying attention to these laws more than the Bible itself. And so the safeguards, the wall, those weren't actually literally required by God as the law itself. But they were kind of, they were intended to be an aid or an assistance to keep you from from breaking the the Torah, the law. and I can see them well motivated and seen as a tool. They could be a good thing, but on the other hand, if they became a, uh, you got maybe it. that's why you, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees. That's, a, that's the key. You just hit it. In other words, yes, it's a good motivation. Yes, it's a good technique. Let's put a wall there. But you're supposed to teach what God's law was. But we'll put a fence around it, a little ways in front, mm-hmm. so you don't go past the fence, so you don't violate that law. Let's say. But if you kind of forget the law, no, we're start, talking about the fence. No, we're talking that. about the fence. Uh-huh. That's the issue, and that really, in a nutshell, is would that what, be what legalism is? Or yes, is, basically, is, is that. 
And so it's important to understand that God's laws is not legalism. It's these man-made stuff that's legalism. Interesting. And so that actually, if you go back, because I've looked them all up in the, in the Gospels, and I will tell you, the Jesus conflict, mm-hmm. I'm very satisfied. Now, somebody might correct me if they mm-hmm. are. That's fine. But uh, his conflict was honoring the fences more than God's laws. He, he wanted to keep God's laws. And, but Ezekiel, we have to be honest, he's the one that kind of started this tradition. I'm thinking of something there. Let's say we're jumping over quickly to to life and ministry of Jesus. But I remember when the Pharisees said to him, "Why do your uh, Why do your disciples work on the Sabbath?" And what they were doing is they were going through a field, and they were taking grains of wheat and rubbing them together and kind of taking off the chef and and having a mouth, and which is something of, like gleaning, right? Was was part of the law of God they were, when you, you traveled right, through they it. They were eating and picking some stuff off. Uh-huh. Sure. And the, and the Pharisees were interpreting that you're, you're harvesting, you're working on the Sabbath. And would that be a little bit of an example of that? It would, their, it's were, a good example. It's a great example. But no, you got to tell me why. Why was because why? Why what first? Why is that a good example? Well, because it wasn't really the law. Oh, you're getting close. You're getting close. Can, but I, I, it was I'm beginning a, to shiver. You're getting close. <laughs> but it was a safeguard that just to make sure okay. you don't break well, the law of working on the may Sabbath. May I give you a hand? Okay, please. Okay. <laughs> and in Deuteronomy, it is very, very clear. It says, when you're walking through a field, you may pick an ear of corn and eat. It's okay. That's not an issue. Uh, so, but it says you can't harvest because that's stealing. So if I pick an ear of corn or a couple of grapes, it's okay. I'm hungry. I'm having a grape, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. Absolutely, precisely says that. But as the example you're giving is, they're saying, no, you can't even pick the ear of corn. Don't pick the ear of corn. Then you never get close to harvesting somebody else's stuff. I see. So that was it. Was That's a, why it's important. offense yeah. the, instead of the. So you got to pick the. Yeah, you picked a great example, actually. <laughs> okay, that's that, the one that came to my mind because you were talking about Jesus doing this and teaching this, and and and, and he said the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and he, a principle there. But okay, so that gives uh, give me a little bit better idea of uh, of here what Ezekiel is talking about with them, uh, with the people uh, there. Oh, he's really. I mean, these prophets, these prophets, they really do. And remember, God told Ezekiel, if you if you warn the people like I tell you to, and then if they they're punished for their sins, so on, then you'll bear no uh, consequence. But if you don't warn them, if you don't deliver the message, then then you will suffer as part of their there judgment. There is something as well. here that's really fascinating you want, to me, anyway. Mm-hmm. In fourteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, 14, um, it's easy for to remember because it's 14, 14. Okay. Let me see what I I can find it here. Um, Verse 14, even, oh, my lands, I've heard you talk about this before. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were here, were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord. Wow. Let me see. Let me back up. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, suppose the people of a country were to sin against me, and I lifted my fist to crush them. 
cutting off their food supply and sending a famine to, to destroy both people and animals. In other words, and, I, and I, I judge them for their sin. Even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the Lord. <laughs> no. First of all, we've got to explore Okay. why would he say that? He's already talked a little bit of what looks like a little bit of vicarious atonement. Uh-huh. But why would he say that Noah, Daniel, Job, Eov, Job, uh-huh. would not be able to save them? Why would he say that? Were they supposed to save them? No, I no. guess not. Well, let's take a look at these guys. What did was, was that the idea? You know what reminds me of when, when Job said, uh, or, or when Abraham said, you know, if there are 50, if there are 35, if there's 10 righteous people, would you spare uh, um, the city? Well, Remember the judgment? I was sort of intercessory kind of okay, stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he was praying. If there, if there are five righteous, would you spare the city? Yeah, yeah. but that's not what we're talking about here. No. It's, it's a different but situation. Let's take a, okay, why would he say uh, they they only save their own lives? Uh huh. Even if they ask me. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So I'm not going to listen to the pleadings of guys like Noah, but why these three? Noah, Daniel, and Job. Well, out of all the people he could have picked, yeah, or Soapy for that matter, or Jacob, you know, but he said Noah, Daniel, and Job were. Um, let me see, what would be what would be well, the let's, thing? Let's about take them? a look and see if we can figure this out. What do those three have in common? Well, or what do they have in difference? Noah, Daniel, and Job. What did Noah? Noah was involving what the whole world. Yeah, uh, the judgment of God on the world. The destruction of man. But he was spared. Yeah. But he told people, didn't he? Uh-huh. Uh But nobody listened. But he, Noah is about the destruction of the entire humanity, of the world. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Daniel. Uh huh. Daniel. What is Daniel? He predicted Daniel. Well, I suppose he is taken into exile. He is. Uh, Considered to be righteous, one of the few people of the Bible to whom sin is never actually attributed. It never says Daniel sinned. To this, so that I'm thinking of that. Well, everybody thinking, sins. Yeah, right? yeah, but he, it's never told in the Bible that, like we know about David's well, sin. Let's say we know this. About, He's talking but about Daniel. Uh, Daniel is as keeping the nation together because he ends up being part of the Magi. Uh-huh. The Magi, the, ah, the, you, the wise, you the, sages, the sages of the ages that you talked right, about. That's, that's right. right. So he's t- dealing with the nation of Israel. So you got Noah, the destruction of humankind. You got Daniel, the, the nation. Mm-hmm. The but, judgment on God's what nation. what about Job? Job. Job. Was that more of a personal thing? Than, Close. Very than, good. His, yeah, him and his, fa- his family. Fam- okay. Remember he would... He had offers right. offerings for on behalf of his children and all that. So you got a nation. I'm sorry, you got mankind. You've got a nation, nation. and you've got the family. How about that? Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. But even their righteousness would save no one but themselves. Yeah. And and so he's saying. In other words, it, really, what he's emphasizing it seems like is the certainty of his judgment. That God's judgment is certain, and that. His judgment is right and certain. There's no that even someone else, another human being, in that case, like these men, 
would not save anyone, anyone but themselves. Uh, if I were to bring war against the land and I sent enemies to destroy them, even if those three men were there, they wouldn't be able to save their own sons and daughters. They alone would be saved. So what is the point there? The, and I guess that's it, the certainty of God's judgment, right? That it does appear. And there's there's a, no, there, there's a, a sub-theme because he keeps saying it's uh, Zadok or uh, righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so there is a thought. And contrary to what a lot of perhaps uh, people don't care for these days, there is a thought in a family unit. Uh, the mother is the queen of the house, you might say. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She ke- keeps the house. She takes care of the family. Women are, by nature, nurturers. Uh, but the man is always responsible for the righteousness of his household. That's why it's naming men. So and if you look at the verse, it says, As I live, says the Lord God, two, two names, they will not save a son or a daughter through their righteousness. Like, uh, my grandson's going to be having a bar mitzvah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, at the bar mitzvah, for, not for every purpose, but for many purposes, he becomes responsible for his own sins. Did you ever notice in the New Testament, in the Christian scriptures, uh-huh. there seems to be a lacking between eight days when Jesus gets circumcised and when he's at the temple, which must be his bar mitzvah, uh-huh, uh-huh. what happened to the middle years? How it's not mentioned? Why? Because who's responsible for that? His mommy and daddy. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And but at his at his so-called bar mitzvah, if we can use that term, he's now responsible. So we read about Jesus' birth. We read about his. Uh, Circumcision at eight, 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 eight days, days. Yeah, so. and after that, there's a you don't see him again until he's at the temple. Twelve years, completed his twelfth year. This is he's, fully twelve, which means it's thirteen. Yeah. Uh huh. And he's at his bar mitzvah where he well, says, uh, "We're going to use that term." Don't that, you know I need to be about the, my father's yeah, business? That wasn't yeah. the term they used him, but we'll we'll use that term because it's the same thing. Uh-huh. So he's there, and it says he's teaching and asking questions. In fact, that's what that's like, what takes place at the bar mitzvah. You, they yeah. come up, they ask questions, they teach. So. But the in between, it's the the parents' jobs. What's wrong? So uh, our time this. is about out. I can't believe it. The time this is run by so quickly. Oh, well, anyway, but so, go ahead, go ahead. Well, that's all right. So it's through their righteousness, so they wouldn't save a son or a daughter. In other words, in those years where the the father and the mother is supposed to be totally responsible, that's even they would not be able to save a, a daughter or a son to do their righteousness. That's why. So anyway, I know. Uh, are we? How, how much time we got left? So we got a minute and a half. Minute and a half. A whole minute and a half. Yeah. I hate to squander it. You know. Maybe <laughs> no. we could build a fence and get two. Okay, we made our way through chapters twenty, twenty-one. We're moving up now to uh, these visions of, of Ezekiel. He's warning the oh, people. Oh, and there's He's... some next week. There's some really the real yeah. sexy stuff comes up next week. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Uh, um, maybe not the term we would use, but uh, it's uh, exotic stuff. Well, we're going to talk about where Satan okay, came from. I was going to say, well, maybe listen, one of our discussions. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. All right, thanks, folks, for joining us. We've enjoyed our a little little walk through the Book of Ezekiel tonight. We hope you've uh, enjoyed it and, and kind of gleaned some things from it. We'll be back next week. We're going to be reading the rest of the Book of Ezekiel. And we'll discuss it next Sunday night with you. I hope you'll join us. God bless. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. 
Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.